and welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this episode we're going to be talking about stealth, what mechanics define stealth gameplay, which games use stealth well, and which... Wait, I thought I heard something. Ah, it was probably nothing. To help me discuss stealth in video games as a man who's broadcasting from inside a cardboard box, my good friend Jared Bruner. Jared, how you doing, man? Jared, are you there? Jared? Where'd he go? What was that? Oh, I heard something. Uh, what are you I've doing? been I've been here all along. Okay, good. <laughs> for you see, you were so stealthy, I thought for a second it, it had stopped being a bit and you had actually just disappeared. See, I mean I threw that coin to distract you and uh, while you were doing that. <laughs> I sold all of the assets to the podcast. <laughs> I don't know what assets we had worth selling, but what, 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 how much money did you make us off, off of uh, pilfering everything? The right amount. <laughs> the perfect amount. Well, whatever that value ends up being, I'm sure we will uh, enjoy it. Jared. Yes. We got a great topic today. I'm, I'm really excited, excited to about talk this. about stealth. Oh, yes. I love stealth gameplay, um, but... Even more exciting than talking about stealth is the amazing guest we have today. He's the owner and host of the Spawn on Me podcast, and if, I mean, honestly, he's a personal inspiration on my own podcasting. Please help me welcome Khalif Adams. Khalif, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Good, good, good. Thank you so much for having me on. It's really cool to be here, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about hiding in the shadows and then popping out and scaring the crap out of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I... I mean that honestly when I say that that Spawn on Me and and your podcasting has has been an influence on me and, and this podcast the way I run this one so it's uh it's truly an honor to have you here man thank you for joining us thank you so much that's it means a lot to 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 me and to the rest of the crew it it feels really nice when people say that and I I usually don't believe it cuz I'm just like we're just the same as everybody else we're still grinding it out um but it is it is really nice to hear and thank you so much for that that means a lot of course yeah and I I mean Obviously, I, I, I love the Spawn on Me podcast and the, the crew you have going there. But for people who aren't familiar with Spawn on Me, fill them in. What's, what's that podcast all about? Uh, so Spawn on Me, we kind of classify ourselves as the quintessential pinnacle of conversation when it comes to talking about video games, race, politics, and all the things that you're not supposed to talk about in video games. <laughs> we kind of like to dig into all the like little weird bits that people don't want to really dig into because uh, we feel like the game space is a little bit boring if you don't dig into the really hard stuff and if you talk about you know just the way that things are are kind of filtered and and, and through your own prism and especially ones uh through the, the prism of uh people of color and and marginalized folks so uh, we try to spotlight those folks on the show and and also bring in really uh, cool guests uh folks you might have heard of folks you might not have heard of and kind of just have a great conversation and bring some nuance back to the back to the space because it's sorely needed and necessary that's what I love about your guys' work is that I think games do deserve to have those types of conversations. People are talking about it in cinema and literature. They've been doing that for a while. And I think games, they, they need to be thinking about that that type of stuff. So uh, I also appreciate your work that you guys are doing. Thanks, man. It's, 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 a hard, it's a hard deal sometimes because you are kind of butting up against a lot of folks who are like, well, I don't want to have to talk about race and and talk about my my favorite pastime. Well, I don't want to talk about politics in my in my video games. Why did why should they ever touch? And I'm like, they always touch. You just might not have seen them and, and seen where the places are that they touch. So 
that Venn diagram has always been there and it's always been big. Uh, but now we're just trying to give a, a more of a spotlight and more of a shine to uh, those conversations because they're, they're necessary. They needed to be happening. Yeah. And we talked with Andrea Renee a little bit last week. And when we started up this podcast, one of my one of the things that I did was start like ingesting as much sort of like video game related content as I could. And actually, the first episode of Spawn on Me that I listened to was the 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 one we had Austin Walker on mm. um, recently. So whatever that was, probably like a month and a half ago, two months ago. So about, I'm a, about that. I'm a new citizen to Brook. Bricago. <laughs> yeah, it was a couple um, of weeks, couple of, like a month and month and some change ago, I think at this point. Yeah. That was one of those moments for me where I was like like oh shit, this is some this is some real talk. This is the the part of the conversation about video games that I've sort of been been lacking in, you know, in my own sort of listening and interest in video games. It was really cool to hear and uh in that episode, you know, I, think it came up where it was like there's there's no there's no such thing as like a piece of art that is apolitical everything is Mm. making a statement about something and yeah i mean that's why the that's why the conversations that you guys have over there is important and that's why you know when i say that that you are an inspiration on my podcasting and this podcast it's uh it's because i'm trying to bring some of that here you know like we you know we talk about game mechanics and game design here but i also want it to be conscious of those other issues that some of these mechanics touch on now i'm going to like sloppily segue into like <laughs> how, did, how did you start spawn on me like what was uh what what prompted you to i you know again i'm, I'm sort of new to the spawn on me but I, I assume it was you that started it it was well first of all your your segue was beautiful don't don't ever downgrade your own segues <laughs> don't ever do that you rock your segues and then you put those bad boys out into the world S- make self-deprecation beautiful. is like that's my that's my shtick <laughs> I, I always i always fumble over my segues and i'm like that was a perfect segue don't worry about it it was perfect um so it was myself uh and uh my co the co-founder actually of spawn on me was cicero Holmes. so cicero uh, has been there from the beginning about we're almost at five years now. We're almost 200 episodes in and five years into the, into the podcasting game. Uh, and we met, uh, basically on Twitch. I was streaming some, uh, NBA 2k uh, at the time. And he jumped on the stream and, uh, knew that I was doing a blog at the time, uh, called the spawn point blog. And, um, uh, he jumped on into the chat and was like, Hey, you seem like a really cool dude. And you know, I w- I've always wanted to write about video games and I know that you have a blog. Can we do something together? Uh, and I was like, we're here, you know, take my phone number, uh, you know, let's get on a call, uh, and, and do it old school and actually talk to people on the phone instead of just busting out emojis and a text message. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Hey, you know, you seem like a pretty cool person. You know, he started to write for the site for a little bit. And then the site kind of folded cause no one wanted to read anything we wrote. Um, and then, uh, we were like, I've always wanted to do a podcast. We had done another show, uh, myself and my other co-host Sharif Jackson, uh, called character select, uh, on Google Hangouts a couple of years prior to that. So we already kind of knew, or I already kind of knew that I wanted to do a show, uh, and Cicero was down from the beginning and I was like, all right, let's do this. So how, what's, what do we want the spin to be? What do we want the slant to be? That's going to be different. And we were like, no one's talking about the perspective of black people and what, how we see you know, the games that we play and how can we convey that in a really smart way? Um, you know, influence from, you know, the stuff from G4 back in the day before it got really terrible <laughs> influence from, you know, all the other podcasts, the giant bombs and, you know, we can confirms and the one up shows and things like that from back in the day. 
Um, and it was fantastic to be able to, to kind of dig into some of those conversations. And then we got our first guest and we were like, holy shit, like we can do this. Like we have an idea. It's kind of working and we can actually get really cool people on the show that we've always wanted to talk to. Let's keep going. Uh, and it's, it's been rolling on ever since. So it's been, it's been a long, interesting ride already. Uh, and this seems like it's kind of just starting in some, in some spots too. So it's been fun. I'm jealous of your podcast name. That's a, it's a great name. I wish we would have had that idea first. <laughs> yeah. Blame Battlefield for that. Future. Yeah, blame Battlefield for that. That's all Battlefield stuff. Now, what's been your favorite part of doing the show so far? Um, I Interestingly enough, I get a lot of joy out of producing a show. I know people who, uh, who follow me on Twitter just saw me like, hey, can someone help produce the show now? <laughs> I was like fussing my way through it because I was like, oh my God, there's been so many shows. Uh, but like producing the show and when we did uh, have music breaks, the putting in a music break always was my favorite part of doing a, doing an edit. Uh, I have a background. I used to be a college DJ, college radio DJ, um, and that was always fun. Uh, so being able to do that. But honestly, th- that and um, now being able to snag people that I've always wanted to talk to and for every amount of time that we get them for, to be able to dig around and like find a new angle on the way that they've been kind of shown to the world has been really fun. Like that's the thing that gets me up in the morning when I'm like, all right, I have to do a show this week and we have a guest. What do we want to do? What's the angle that we want to hit? That's going to be different than anybody else's hit. You know, let's talk about something that they don't get to talk about or show a side of them that, you know, humanizes them to the gaming community in a way that they don't really get uh, often. So um, it's those kinds of things that make me happy and try to try to make us, uh, different in the space. And, and and I hope that it's working. It feels like it's working and it sounds like people are digging it. So, you know, we keep going and forging ahead. Yeah. You guys, and you guys have landed some amazing guests. You just recently had, um, Robin Hunnicky on and it was, I mean, it was fascinating Mm -hmm. to listen to her talk about Luna and journey and her own experiences in the game development world. You're nailing it on that front for sure. Now, what are the, what are the plans for the future of spawn on me? Like what, you know, Five years from now, what do you hope to have done with the show? I saw you were streaming some Wolfenstein before this recording. Are you guys doing a lot more streaming? We're trying to. It's really hard to get streaming stuff done um, because there's a real, like, everyone has their nine to five gig and then you have your your days off and you have your weekends and stuff like that. Um, Streaming has been a really interesting deal because we uh, got partnered on Twitch, which was fantastic. Um, and that's helped a lot in terms of visibility. Um, but it's also pushed us definitely into video in a way that we weren't necessarily, not necessarily ready. I kind of wanted to do video a little bit earlier, but it's, it's a lot of stuff that goes along with getting it and doing it well. Like I hate to do stuff half-assed and anything that doesn't seem like it's really pushing us out in a different direction really well. I kind of am super hesitant about, um, but jumping on Twitch and then doing some stuff on YouTube and starting to figure out some angles on where we want to go in that vein has been great. Um, in terms of five years from now, I have a lot of big plans. There's a lot of stuff that I want to try to do, stuff that I don't think that has actually been done yet. Um, my grand dream uh, is if anybody remembers the, the G4 network and Revision 3, um, those were like the first kind of forays into like doing, you know, network style TV, but on the internet. Heck so yeah, yeah like, I, used, I did a, a short show for Comic-Con HQ with Adam Sessler recently. Badass, badass. Yeah, I love Adam. Adam is like family. 
Um, and he, and he's one of the inspirations that I've always had in the business to be like, this is how you can have really smart conversations and do it well. Um, but I want to re I want to reignite or, or restart a version of rev three or G four that is people of color focused. So it's like people of color and marginalized folks who are in front of the camera, who are on air talent, who are doing stuff behind the scenes, who are writing the content and do that. And, and make that something that's going to be, you know, an extension of what we do at Spawn on Me. Because that was kind of the impetus for even starting the show was not seeing people who look like me in the space and wondering where we were. And I was like, we've got to be in here somewhere. There's got to be somebody who looks like me who's making a game. Why don't we know about these people? And having that kind of um, platform uh, that I would hope to like to be at the helm of would do that tenfold for people. It's like, oh, wow, there's this whole television channel or this whole, you know, outfit of people who are content creators who are doing this work um, so that can hopefully inspire the next group of folks to kind of do that stuff too, or at least jump on board. Because uh, it would be really dope to be able to say that that's a thing that's, that's actually out in the world and is like making moves. So we'll see. We'll see if this becomes that and if that becomes something else. But uh, that's that's the grand dream in my head. It's cool you you guys are out there doing that. I was I was a huge fan of Austin Walker when he was on uh, Giant Bombs East Crew, and then uh, when I heard that he was spinning off to do his own thing over at Vice, I was like, heck yeah! Like that seems like the perfect mm-hmm. gig for him. So I'm I really like the work that they're doing over there at Waypoint too. And now, now you guys, Spawn Me is, is is touching on that too. So that's a it's it's great to see that that type of content being made surrounding yeah, video games. Yeah, the wave the Waypoint folks are. Pfft, Man, they they are killing it right now. They they are right now the folks that I think everyone should be looking to to see like how the space is going to change because they 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 are nailing it on so many different levels. Plus, having the the backing of Vice is huge. If you ever get uh if you ever get that dream project going, just tell me where to throw my cash because uh you'll you'll definitely have my support in that. <laughs> and the Patreon is already up. <laughs> you can support. You can support. Right no, there. I, I mean, Steve, it, he just called you out, man. It's, it's I, trust me, I'm I'm already a, a, a patron over at their their Patreon, and I would encourage anyone who's listening to this show to definitely go check out Spawn on Me, and if you like it, go to Patreon and and support them there as well, because um, they're doing great work. Um, let's let's dive into our topic. Let's talk about stealth games, and let's start the way we do every day with. A little bit of history, Jared. Take us to school. Where did uh, Stealth Games start up? Some of you might be familiar with a small indie game that came out in the 80s known as Pac-Man. I've heard of uh, it. I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen it here and there. Some people consider this maybe one of the first stealth games. Okay, for, first of all, it was designed by Toru Iwatani as an arcade game by Namco. Um, pretty much everyone already knows what the, the premise of Pac-Man is, but... The thing that makes it a stealth game is that it emphasizes avoiding the enemy and and completing the objective above all else. Um, you're, you're, it emphasized survival and passive gameplay while it de-emphasized confrontation. Um, some consider it the first stealth game because of the way the ghost acted. They, they pretty much left you alone unless they got sight of you and then they chased you down as, as much as they could. And... Uh, that might be one of the the earliest examples. It's, I think that's up for debate. But. Yeah, see, some people some people don't think that Pac Man counts as a stealth game because the AI would react to you without sort of those thematic idea. You know, like without having line of sight or being able to hear you, they would still react to you in certain ways. So yeah, certain ghosts would 
the ghosts had different programming and some of them would only sort of chase you when they were near you, but some ghosts were always pursuing you wherever you were on the map, regardless of, you know, if they could see or hear you, whatever hearing Pac-Man means within the Pac-Man world. But yeah, I don't think a lot of people knew that the ghosts had different behaviors, but each color definitely had different programming. Some of them might have been a little bit more reactive further away than others. What else we got? Shortly after that, a game came out by Sega in the arcade called 005. It was a top-down game where you're a guy with a briefcase trying to avoid the enemy. And the enemies had flashlights, which were represented by these yellow cones. And your, your goal was to get your briefcase to the escape point, which was like a helicopter on the roof. And that's that might be the first example of what you might think of as like modern stealth mechanics, avoiding enemies with, with sights and, and, and vision cones. And that, that was that was pretty cool. It's it's interesting gameplay. I went and watched some of the videos for it. It reminds me of one of my favorite games of all time, Metal Gear Solid series. So Yeah, it's it's hard to look at the footage from 005 and not immediately think to yourself, at, at least of um, Metal Gear Solid, with how many times yeah. you're hiding behind wooden crates in that game. Yeah, and the flashlights of the enemies would get obstructed by walls and yeah, if exactly. They had a clear line of sight to you like the vision cones would be longer. So it made it made logical sense of how you were supposed to avoid the enemies. Yeah. And I think it's important also to point out that the stealth part of this game was not the main part of the game. It was sort of um a collection of little mini games that you would do. Sometimes it was like a shooting gallery, sometimes you were piloting a, a helicopter. And sometimes you were in this dark warehouse and you're doing these these stealth things. And I'm only bringing it up now because I think that that distinction will play into our conversation a little bit later. But I just wanted to make sure and get that in there. Also, Guinness Guinness Book of World Records recognizes it as the first stealth game. So I guess, I mean, say what you will about the Guinness Book of World Records, <laughs> but it's, at least it's some recognition for the game. And I also want to talk about, um, came out 1981, the same year for the Apple II computer is Castle Wolfenstein. Most people are familiar with the series, especially the, the new one that just came out. This came out in 1981, and it was it was more like a stealth action game because there was, there was shooting and stuff, but the cool thing about that was the guards were, they could be alerted to your presence and chase you between screens. Some of the things that you could do were, were to take out the guards silently and take their uniforms and dress up and hide in plain sight. Uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, we referenced in episode 14 of our podcast some uh, of the mechanics of lockpicking in that in that series, and, and this might be one of the first examples of lockpicking where you would find a chest and there would be a little countdown timer as you were lockpicking, and that would that would increase the the tension of being spotted because these these guards would have their patrol routes, and you know, for as early of a game this was, it had that AI built into it so that you would. Uh, you would have to avoid them. It's crazy to think that like back in 1981 between Castle Wolfenstein and 005, like how many of the the tropes of stealth games were being developed. I, I you know, I wasn't really aware of any games that sort of allowed you to take people's clothes and and mm. disguise yourself as as someone else until the Hitman games came mm-hmm. out, but it it predated those games by Quite a long time. And even if you were dressed up as a guard, you still had to have the right credentials. They, the guards would stop you and be like, hey, let me see your papers. And if you didn't have those credentials, they would be alerted. And then they would chase you and alert other guards between between screens. So that's, that's for a game that came out in 1981. That's pretty intense. Yeah. 
And Khalif, do you have any experience with any of these games with uh, 005 or Castle Wolfenstein? I never got a chance to play those, unfortunately. I mean, everyone definitely played Pac-Man, and that was like a huge staple of my my growing up. Um, but I didn't get into stealth games until way later. Actually, it was uh, and some of the stuff that I'm sure you're going to dig into later, as far as games that were kind of the ones that we all. Think yeah, I don't of. think these these games necessarily hold up very well. <laughs> Probably not. But looking, but looking at them, it's like wow! Like it's insane that they were doing this stuff, and you can see where modern games got uh, some of the mechanics that we're going to mm-hmm. talk about. It's- yep, absolutely. Well, Khalif, what was the the first game that you played that included stealth elements that you remember? Metal Gear Solid. Metal Metal Gear was the one. Like that was that was the yep. game that you know brought me into that series and that franchise, and then also you know sparked my love for this for this kind of genre of game and. um yeah, I think I've I think I've heard of that one. Yeah, it happened. You know that guy, that guy who made that maybe game. Maybe the best game yeah, of all time. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this... Steve, you get to talk about Proteus like almost every episode, and so this isn't. Uh, isn't my, I'm really excited about. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was like the prototypical. You know, it is it is the one that I think anyone now who is even thinking about stealth kind of references when they're trying to make their game docs to say like, okay. How do we want this game to play? What elements from this game do we want to implement into our game? Uh, because they they knocked it out the park and they did it really well from the beginning, which was interesting to see how well they did that even back in the day. Um, now, when you first when you first played that game, did you recognize it as like, oh, this is this is going to be a thing? Like this is this is what games are going to be like moving forward? Weirdly, no. Like, I, it's one of those things that when you're in the space and you're playing it, you're like, hmm. I'm doing all these really cool things. I'm really wrapped up in the story. I have these mechanics that are that are that are pretty good just on their own. And then when you see like Metal Gear 2 come out and then Metal Gear 3 come out, that's when it that's when you kind of have to like go back and you're like, "Oh, okay, all those things that I was being taught in that first game of how I should kind of behave in the world." then kind of pushes itself out to to, to, the, to the point where you understand, you know, what they were trying to do. Um, and that was the part that, like, the light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, oh, okay. Now I understand why. Um, but that but that series, just in general, just, like, evolutionized. Evolu- that, that's not a word. Revolutionized <laughs> the way that we think about that genre and the way we think about stealth in general. So, you know. Kudos, kudos to all those folks back in the day at Konami and, you know. Metal Gear Solid was also my first experience of this. So it, that was, I mean, relatively late in the game for the stealth genre. I mean, it was, the, it was the first game, I think, to make it super popular. But, you know, as we're doing research for this topic, I went back and I never really played the original Metal Gears for the uh, MSX. But Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake on, on the MSX2 computer platform, it had pretty much all the systems that were in place for the PlayStation game that came out, right. you know, eight years later, it was it was it's pretty insane because already back in when did this game come out, 1990, they had stuff like guards that would be on patrol routes, but they weren't just on a single patrol route. They they would be it was like the first time they were able to turn their head and look in different mm-hmm. directions. You could knock on walls intentionally to get their attention. You could step on metal grates, which would alert them. And like all that stuff was carried over to PlayStation, which I kind of assumed at the time that was the first that had ever been right. done. And to see that happen, and um, you know, as I was doing research and see that in Metal Gear Two, 
that's that's crazy that that was almost a decade earlier that that stuff was already in place and then they just expanded upon it when they moved that into like a 3D mm-hmm. world. Yeah. yeah, that's one of those games that I um I didn't I didn't know that there was anything before Metal Gear Solid when I first played Metal Gear Solid. And then when I had when I heard that there oh there's like these two games that preceded it that are sort of these uh old school top-down video games at the time i was like a, i was a pain in the ass teenager so i was like ah, i don't want to go back and, and play those old games but now <laughs> now like you know as a as a 30 year old man i'm like man i want to i want to go back and see what that was like you know see what that experience was like so i'm gonna maybe have to try to see if i can find some way to to play those old games also middle gear 2 was the first time the box was introduced was oh, it yeah the cardboard box the one you're broadcasting from right now just a box <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and my first experience with the the stealth genre, because I didn't I didn't play Metal Gear Solid until probably a year or two after it came out. But my first experience with stealth gameplay that I can remember really well was a game that came out the same year as Metal Gear Solid, is a, a game called Tenchu. Oh yeah, and this yes. this is probably more akin to like modern Assassin's Creed games because it's a lot of like verticality, getting up on top of buildings, dropping down on guards, using a bunch of tools to, you know, distract guards and, and, and that kind of stuff. And I was also, I mean, I was real young when I played it. So like the big thing for me was just like how horribly violent <laughs> the game was. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was great. You would like decapitate people from behind. Yeah. So that was, that was my first experience with it. And that was when I fell in love with the idea of stealth video games as a genre. Mm. I went back and watched some gameplay from Tenchu, and man, do my nostalgia glasses not remember what that game looked like. <laughs> yes. It's a little rough around the edges. I think you had a, a pop-in of like five feet ahead yep. of you, but that game did some really cool stuff. Yeah, did you play uh, did you play Tenchu, Khalif? I did. I don't remember it, though. Like it's, It fits into one of those categories of just like, uh, I always mix up Tenchu and Bushido Blade, even though they're not anywhere near the same thing. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. It's like Legend of Kage, Tenchu, and, <laughs> and Bushido Blade all wrap themselves together in my brain. But I can, but so I can kind of see like, that. Kind of like intentionally awful combat. It was all about like being stealthy and, and getting that first hidden from behind. Yeah. 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 It's, I, I do remember playing it, though. It's, it, is, it is in one of those like buckets that's just like, I know I did. And I played a little bit of it, and I know I kind of liked it because because it was gory, probably, and that was the reason why I liked it. But yeah, I definitely did get a hands on with that back in the day. I, I think it's one of those games that was the ideas were better than the game itself. Like, I think um, it, it does not hold up very well over time. But I think if you played it in its heyday, you probably enjoyed it more for the potential that it proposed than for what the game itself was right which is which is an experience i have uh with a lot of games like i'm playing destiny 2 right now Mm -hmm. and i see it as this like really great platform for what the game can become at some point right but right now you know it's it's kind of a shell it's it's missing those you know some of those key components to keep me like really really interested in it Mm -hmm. and and that's how i feel about tenchu like it was it it was fun thinking about what that game could be, and then I think over time we eventually got what that kind of game could be. When you know, when we look at games like Assassin's Creed today, 
Yeah. I was just thinking that Tenchu is definitely like ripe for a reboot at this point. That franchise, I don't know why they haven't done anything with it since then. Oh, people and um, people are like clamoring for a Assassin's Creed game set in feudal Japan. Yeah. And yeah, and, and, and that I've, would be I've seen the that Tenchu. comparison a bunch. I don't know. I don't think Assassin's Creed gameplay is anything like what I want out of a Tenchu game. Assassin's Creed lends itself way too much to the the action parts of it and not so much like strategically moving around the environment that Tenchu provided. Plus like the atmosphere of Tenchu was just kind of weird. They went they went places with that story. Um I I don't know. I I feel like the Assassin's Creed series does not lend itself to the tone of the Tenchu series, but that could just be me talking about my memories of Tenchu and not actually what it was. And yeah, I think, well, I think that's the thing with most games, right? Is you have this idea of what it was when you played it and then you go back in retrospect and you're like, "All right, what does what were they trying to do here?" And then you kind of like push that back out into what you hope that it would be and what you want it to be if they never if they ever make a new one of it. And it feels like that's always the case with a lot of these games too. It's like, oh man, you could have made that better. You could have did that and you could have fixed that. And no, it didn't work. Well, and we're kind of dancing around a, a subject here that I want to touch on, which is, is, is there such a thing as like a stealth game? Like is, is stealth a genre of its own or is stealth sort of a, uh, like a sub genre of other types of games? Um, Hmm. You know, you're, you're talking about Assassin's Creed being a little too combat focused, but I think in some ways this idea of stealth has always been linked to like action titles. There's, there's very rarely been a game where, you know, combat was not at least some component of, you know, the stealth game. So, so Khalif, I'll, I'll pass it to you first. You know, do you, do you think that stealth is a genre in like in and of itself, or do you think it's sort of like part of other genres? I've, I've always kind of attached stealth as a mechanic more than a genre, because I feel like, like you said that the, the focus for most of the games that have stealth is to use stealth as the secondary way that you kind of maneuver through the world. There are very few games that have that as the main mechanic of like, all right, we want you to be as quiet as possible, as stealthy as possible. And then if you get into a fight, you have the ability to, you know, take that to the next level. You see that with Dishonored as, as like the kind of main way they want you to, to, to move maneuver around in that world. Assassin's Creed, uh, like we said, is more of a, you know, we want you to not really be, be found until you are found and then you have abilities to get out. Um, even stuff that's like, um, oh my God, Mirror's Edge was like that in a lot of, a lot of ways where it was like, mm, we yeah, really don't want example. you to, we really don't want you to be seen. We don't want you to be found. But if you do, we give you some combat tactics to be able to get out of a fight. Um, so I've always thought of it as more of a, of a game mechanic than it is as an actual genre. Um, but I would like to see if that was a thing where, you know, what would that actually look like and, and how you would flip that into something that would be fun to play. Cause that's a hard thing too. It's like stealthy, stealthy games are very difficult to stream. Like if you wanted to play them on stream, I try not to play stealthy games on stream because I play them really slowly, which is not fun to yeah. watch. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm, I'm one of those people who like, I have to find all the secrets, all the collectibles. Mm-hmm. I, I've mentioned on this show before. I kind of, I, I kind of hate that part about myself, but yeah, when it comes to a stealth game, I'm the kind of guy who has to learn all the enemy routes mm-hmm. and everything before I even make my first move. Yep. That's, that's the reason why I love metal gear five so much 
that's the reason why I love that game with all my heart is because you can look at stuff from multiple angles and try to figure out how you want to plot that out and then use the game's AI systems against itself while trying to do that stuff and get, you know, the quote unquote best ending to that particular engagement. So yeah, I think of it more of in terms of game mechanic than, than genre though. I'm kind of torn on the subject. While I would love to see like a pure stealth game that could be considered its own genre. The more I play modern games that, that emphasize stealth, like Hitman, the new Hitman series, um, the the shooting and combat in that game is is horseshit. It sucks. <laughs> um, same thing with uh, Metal Gear Solid. The first one is is like you you had to sneak around because if, as soon as you got into like any kind of shooting situation, it was just it was garbage. I mean, that being said, I don't know I don't know what that would look like for a modern well, game does that, that was pure. Does stealth. that look like Outlast, a game that you you can't really engage in any sort of combat? Your only way to interact in that world is to run and hide is is that a you know a from the floor up stealth game or i mean obviously Maybe. that's tied to the horror genre as well but does a true stealth game look something like that i i guess but at the same time i don't really feel that super engaging you right. know when, when we we, we kind of talked about outlast on our last episode uh, for in the context of survival horror games it's just kind of one note and then you're 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 basically just walking around this world without really interacting in any other ways with it. I think um I you know the idea of like putting down traps or you know setting up ambushes I think that makes it a little more engaging if that's if that's implemented in in uh that type of gameplay. But one of the points I wanted to hit on I guess was that if they give me a stealth option in a game like Dishonored or Wolfenstein that is the first way I always go. I feel like that's the way that is rewards you the most. I find it a lot of fun trying to be sneaky and finding alternative routes. What I don't like is feeling like I'm being punished in that type of game for not for breaking stealth. You know, if I break stealth in Wolfenstein, I'm just going to bust out the dual submachine guns and start mowing people down. I don't want to have to like save scum my way backwards to to find the right correct mm-hmm. route. Um, and I think some games do that better than others. Like Arkham Asylum is really fun being Batman and hiding in the shadows. But as soon as, you know, things popped off, you could start fighting and feel like you also have power in that situation. And then if things got hairy, you could escape very quickly back into stealth, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I wanted to, to to jump on that really quick because I, I totally agree. And I think if we were to think about making stealth in terms of a genre, I think you would have to work everything backwards from the moment you get caught to what that engagement means for the player then. So like like you said, usually you get caught in a stealth moment and then you either have to shoot your way out, uh, every alarm on the planet goes off and you have to wait for it to go off. I mean, wait for it to end before you can start to get back into stealth mode. Um, I would like it so that those branching paths were were, were different and, and more um, inclusive in a lot of ways where it's like you have all these different ways that you can then get out of out of the, the the situation and back into stealth. So it's like uh, you get arrested uh, and they put you in jail or as opposed to you having to shoot your way out, you could negotiate your way out or instead of just getting into this like altered, this alarmed, alarm state, you could, you know, dis, dis, uh, disrupt an alarm in between, you know, the stages of it getting worse for you. I feel like it's either, it's either an on or off. It's really binary in the way that those things work. And I'd like to see that kind of like, spread out into a more gradient way so that you have more more ways to kind of get out of that and resume getting back into stealth. Because think about it. If you were to get caught 
doing something that you weren't supposed to be doing, most times you don't just automatically die. <laughs> like, yeah, if, depending right. upon what, you know, depending upon what exactly you were trying to do, if you're trying to hop the Whitehall fence, I mean, White House fence, then yeah, you might die. But like, if you like stole a thing out of the department store, you won't usually die. You'll get arrested. You'll get stopped. You'll get, you know, uh, accosted. You'll get talked to. Um, All of a sudden, I really want a National Treasure video game. Oh, my God. Tell me how good. <laughs> tell me how good that would be. I just want to play Nicolas Cage, and I want to steal the Declaration of tell Independence. Me how good that would be. That would be so good. <laughs> that would be amazing. And then you would just put on different versions of hair. You would just have different wigs. TM, TM. Oh, it was so good. But yeah, I think, yeah, I think that would be the way that you would fix that. You're doing the kind of grand scheme imagining that that I like to do on this show as well. I mean, because what you're talking about is like from the floor up reimagining game design, right? Mm-hmm. Like right now games, we've we've done a really good job of designing games that let you shoot people. And I think in a lot of cases, stealth is sort of this like supplement to that kind of experience. It's mm-hmm. like a, it's like an add-on. You plug it into into your first person shooter, you plug it into your third person action adventure game and it you know, it becomes a a part of that experience, but it, it's still kind of its own separate thing. And I think you know, I, I think in some ways, yeah, to to have a true stealth game, we have to reimagine what a video game looks like. You have to reimagine what a fail state of a video game looks like. You know, it's not it's well, not I mean, just they're... it's not just you're alive or you're dead or you're, you know, caught or whatever, but there's a lot of those gray areas in the middle that you know, to I think achieve this idea of a quote unquote true stealth game, you have to you have to address. And it is things like, you know, bribing or coming up with, you know, alternatives to achieving your goals. And that requires, you know, huge shifts in the way that games are made. There's a couple of indie developers out there trying to make pure stealth games. A couple that come to mind were uh, Monaco, which was a a game about stealing something from a from a base. And that was a I would say it's pretty close to a as a pure stealth game because i think that was pretty much the only option i I believe there was was a way to um you know evade capture in that game and get each of the each of the characters sort of had their own strength so i think some of them were were like fighters and some of them you could dig underground and stuff like that and then uh, a few years later uh, a game called invisible ink by clay entertainment came out and that was another one that really emphasized stealth and i think the main thing from both of these indie titles is that they were built from the ground up to be a pure stealth experience while also you know like taking into account that 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 is that is the focus of the game and it's plays more like a puzzle game than than anything that's more like action oriented like we were kind of talking about with Wolfenstein and Metal Gear Solid. Hmm. I'm trying to wrap my brain around that. Re- repeat it again, because I, I want to make sure I'm getting it all the way around. Yeah, Invisible Ink by Clay Entertainment. It was a game where you play a spy and you're, you're infiltrating and you usually have to collect intel. And there were roaming guards and different ways to, to move throughout the levels. You could bash doors in, which would create a lot of sound, mm-hmm. or you could find the guard with a key card and take him out. But... It was all turn-based, and it played more like a puzzle game than, you know, what you would maybe think of as like an action stealth setup right. like Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've kind of always felt like those games, because you kind you don't really have that in like Banner Saga either, like stuff in that kind of genre, that kind of isometric top-down. You take a step, the other person takes a step. I don't feel like those games do that, that element as well as 
as you pro- like in the same way that you see in a third person kind of game or first person kind of game. It just doesn't feel like it lends itself as well because you can see everything. So it's like everything yeah. that everything that represents stealth in those games is the the suspension of disbelief that the other thing can't see you because there's like an invisible wall there or like you thrown up uh, a power or you thrown up a, 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 a perk or something that gives you more stealth. But I, I always am like, don't feel like it works. It doesn't work in my brain because I like play that stuff in like XCOM too. It's like, okay, I'm hiding behind this thing, but this, you can see my head. Like, I know you can see my head behind this thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know you can see me behind this wall. Like, you can see like 80, per, see you can see 80% of my body, but right. because I'm, because I'm behind this, uh, you know, this right. wooden pallet, you can't the stat see me. Says, <laughs> the stat says that you can see like 87% of my body, but. So I think that's that's a good way to define what we're talking about stealth as a genre versus stealth as a mechanic. Mm. And I think I think both of those are are relevant to our discussion here. What are what are some of the I guess let's kind of move forward and like what are some of the mechanics that you guys normally think of when you think of stealth as a mechanic? Hmm. I mean there's a lot, right? Like when you think about stealth gameplay, there's there's a lot to it, which is why I think it's really it, it, I don't know. It's really attractive to people to call a game a stealth game when I think collectively the three of us Most agreed it's not, not it's not a stealth game. It's like an action game with stealth mechanics built into it. Right. But it, but they have all these pretty common components where you could almost call it a genre, right? I mean, there's there's pretty common ones like you know staying in shadows or walking through tall grass. You've got HUD elements. You you know I think of a game like. Uh, what was it, Skyrim, where you kind of have this eye that opens and closes when you're moving in and out of concealment? I mean, I can't really think of a game that came out in the last five to ten years that didn't have some type of stealth mechanic built into it. Yeah, yeah, it, it gets sprinkled into a lot of different things, sometimes unnecessarily so. I wish I had a good example of that, but I, I feel like there are some games where you feel like we need to throw everything in the pot. And when you throw everything in the pot, it makes the pot bad. It makes the food bad. There's some games where they will have, you know, it'll be an action adventure game, but then there will be one stealth level, right? right. Uh, garbage. I don't, I hate that. Always garbage. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone in that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's because the idea of Destiny. executing. <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> I think executing stealth is is difficult and and takes consideration and when you make it just sort of like one level of your game i don't know that you've given it the the care and attention it needs to be a component of that game it always feels like this weird i mean it's always accompanied by a like you got spotted and you failed screen too right it's like it it ends up being kind of more frustrating because you're having to learn new mechanics that you've never used before and you're never going to use again in this game bethesda games have always had a stealth mechanic of some kind and they've always been ridiculously silly you know it's like as long as your little icon you, you crouch and you enter stealth mode as long as your little icon <laughs> is a closed eye then yeah. no one can see you and you could achieve that by like picking up a bucket and putting it over the npc shop owner's head and steal steal and rob him blind and it's like that's not that's not stealth that's just video game bullshit agreed on that <laughs> yeah and i think that's sort of getting back to our conversation about it, you know, like, is stealth a genre? Um, I think I think that that is part of this idea that, like, stealth in those games was a supplement to what they were trying to do, which was action-adventure game. 
And so you get these sort of like the gamification of stealth and not the sort of the true interpretation of stealth in that in that world. Yeah, so you end up with, you know, a person with a, a basket on their head and they can't see that you just murdered the entire bar right in front of them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, one of the things I've always found really funny. It's like uh, Nathan Drake just killed everybody in this room and you're still going to go fight this dude? Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. That's reasonable. That's super reasonable. Okay. There's a lot of things in like Uncharted you have to suspend your disbelief for. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, man, you really, like... Who is run around in those kind of pants and just not have to like pull out a wedgie? Like he doesn't do that at all ever. Like yeah, so, where, did, where does he hide that shotgun? Yeah, like no, like shotgun <laughs> just magically pulls out. Like you're like the worst <laughs> urban terrorists on the planet. <laughs> just like guns on guns on guns and all. Like he must have the best cargo pants. Like yeah. the pockets must be massive. Now before before we like dump on stealth mechanics too much because I you know I, I personally I like I like stealth mechanics in games when they're executed well but what are what are some some good aspects of stealth mechanics in games Khalif like what do you, what is it about stealth that you enjoy when you're playing a stealth game I mean the thing that I always love is to see how you can break the AI and that's the oh, thing so that you're the one putting buckets on people's heads in Skyrim. Hell yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm one of those people. I, I feel like there should be like a 10 step program for that. It's like, I'm one of those people who does that. Um, but it's, it's being able to break the AI, but also seeing where they've done really cool things with the AI. Cause I feel like that's the thing that people don't really pay attention to is just how much work goes into giving the giving you the illusion that you're being stealthy within the game itself because that's all scripted it's all stuff that you can definitely kind of manipulate the the environment to get better at or to to work towards your will but being able to you know do the old school look at the whole map top down try to figure out where people are going to go anticipate movement uh try to plan your way uh, to get around a, a section of a map and get around a, a grouping of enemies and kind of pick them off systematically so that you kind of get yourself in the prime position to do your next objective. That stuff is so cool. Like it, it never gets old unless this, the, 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 the end states or the, the trigger states for you being caught are really abrupt. So it's like, I can, I can dig getting into that stuff, but like if your your cone of vision is so quick to snatch, to snatch me, that I can't do the things that I want to do. I'm just like, Oh, it feels like it takes it out of the, out of the uh, experience takes you out of the experience. Um, And one of the things that metal gear two did was introduce a system of states of alertness. mm -hmm. So there was that, Hey, I think I heard there was, you know, if the, first of all, there was just, I'm in patrolling mode. I'm unaware of the enemy. And then there was, Hey, I think I heard something. Let me go check that out. And then there was the, Oh, I found you, but now we're in combat. And then they had another mode that was we are actively looking for him, but we don't know where he is. Right. And that that is something that happened in 1990. So that has been carried over into I think pretty much every game that has a stealth mechanic built into it in some way, mm-hmm. where it's like eventually the the guards will go back to what they were doing if they saw you, and um, you know in some games it's a little sillier than others when you just like murdered a full room and then <laughs> you just hide in a box for a little bit or hide in the shadows and then. Five seconds later, they're like, well, I guess he's gone. Yep. yep. Yeah. I mean, I think a big part of uh, a, a big draw for a lot of people in video gaming is that that sense of empowerment. And it, I think it's easy to give a player a gun in a game and make them feel empowered. But 
I agree. I think stealth is another one of those components that makes you, I mean, you just feel like a badass sometimes, especially when you sort of have this intricate plan laid out and everything, you know, goes according to, you know, what you had seen in your mind's eye of like, this is how this is all going to play out. Because it, usually it takes longer, right? Like the, you have to be patient. So you feel like you should be rewarded for doing that. Yeah. And when that, and that, when all of that clicks, it, it all feeds that, like that sensation of empowerment that a lot of us enjoy from video games. You know, you just, you, you know, you, you drag someone into a, a hay bale and you, you know, you chase someone else down, you jump from the roof and you land on this guy and you throw a knife and take out that guy. And you just, you just like, fuck yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a badass. <laughs> and then, you know, it provides a, a certain sensation that you can't necessarily get from if you just had a, a pistol and you shot all those people. Metal Gear Solid 2, I think, is the first time I Enough remember. Enough Metal Gear, Jared. We get it. You nope, love the nope, game. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Listen, it's the best game ever made. Best game series. Best story ever told. Metal Gear Solid 2, at the end of the game, like like some of the other Metal Gear Solid games, you would get a rating and a, and a title. And I think that was the first time I ever went back and replayed a game at the hardest difficulty, which got rid of the radar, it got rid of vision cones, and made it super hard because I just wanted to experience what that was like doing that without getting seen for the entire game and uh, i think it might take a little bit more for me to do that these days i just i don't know if i have the patience or time to to play an entire game that way but i really enjoyed the way that they that they set that up and encouraged the stealth in that now i want to talk about that a little bit because do you guys when when you're playing a game that includes stealth mechanics you know heavily implies stealth mechanics do you guys ever feel like you're playing the game wrong when you go in guns blazing? Is that a sensation that you guys have? And Khalif, I'll, I'll pass it to you first. Like when you're playing a game like Metal Gear Solid Five, where it gives you a scorecard at the end of it, mm-hmm. do you, do you feel like you're you're playing the game wrong by by using loud guns and shooting everyone? I totally feel like I'm cheating. Like and, that, and that's the that's the part that I really don't like is the fact that I'm like oh man I like I use the gun to go do this thing and I really don't want to, but I also know that I don't have enough time to do it the way I actually want to do it. <laughs> it's just like oh man I don't re- I really didn't want to shoot that person but I needed to get through this thing so I can go eat dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one of those weird things where it's like I absolutely feel guilty about that stuff. I'm just like I. Uh, so there are some games that I totally can't play with other people in the room because I play it again so slowly because I want to get that stealth, the, the most stealthy, uh, uh, you know, way to get through a level. And it's, it's painstaking in, in, in trying to make sure that you're like getting everything done the right way and like hiding a body and like making sure that you're not getting caught. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm captain restart, uh, restart the level <laughs> once I get caught. And people are just like, come on, Kai. Like, I, I just want to, I just want to see you beat the level at this point. But I'm like, no, I got to keep going. I got to make sure I do it the right way. Yep. I think Deus Ex uh, Mankind Divided was the epitome of that for me. Where mm. I, if I just got seen doing something sketchy, even once, I would, I would automatically quick reload to the last checkpoint. And because I just felt every time I entered combat in a game, I was not playing it right. And I, I, I don't like that feeling anymore. I enjoyed that game overall. But the, there's a sense that you are playing it wrong, at least for me. I don't know if I don't know if that's something that a lot of people share. But I, I think it stealth is. in a game like Wolfenstein, the uh, the New Order, that game had great stealth. But also, like you're playing like this caricature of an American badass. So if you broke stealth, it seemed cool to just 
whatever. Now I'm going to just use every single bullet that I have to get through the rest of this level because that's what BJ Blazkowicz would do. Right, right. I, I don't think that the three of us are alone in that feeling. I, I think probably the majority of gamers would would say that they have that sensation when they're playing a stealth game. If they break stealth, that they're then playing the game wrong. I think that's... Um, now that I'm talking about it, I'm wondering if it's like a role play thing for me where I'm like, what, whatever his name is, <laughs> Deus Ex Man, when, when he breaks stealth, like that's not something that he would do as like a, a awesome agent of, yeah. of this secret police force. J.C. Denton is the only deus ex man I will accept. (laughs) (laughs) Versus B.J. Blazkowicz where it's like who cares? Yeah, I think it is part of the world building for some of these games. If you get a game like Deus Ex where in a way you're told that anything is possible. You can do anything that that you want but then like certain rewards are sort of gated by only doing it the stealthy way, then the game is like sort of teaching you that that stealth is the correct way to play it, even though from sort of a grand game design scale, it's it's telling you otherwise. This is something I, I think of the, I want to say it was like the CEO of Ubisoft a couple years ago when they first announced that Assassin's Creed was taking a year off you know, they had released a game every year for like the last 10 years and then they were going to take a year off before releasing this newest uh, Assassin's Creed Origins. And he said that he wanted it to reevaluate, he wanted to reevaluate the way that players set goals for themselves in games mm-hmm. and then be able to achieve that goal however, you know, like in, in whatever way that they want. And that was sort of like his dream vision for Assassin's Creed when it came back. Now, I don't know if, if Assassin's Creed has executed that. I mean, we're recording this on, what's the date today? 27th? 28th? Mm-hmm. 28th. Yep. 28th. So that game's only been out for a little bit, and I haven't had an opportunity to get hands on it yet. But I think that's kind of getting to what we're talking about in these stealth discussion is if the goal set for me is to get into this base and steal some documents and get out of that base, why am I sort of penalized for trying to accomplish that a certain way, especially when the tools for doing that are you know, presented to me in the game. So we talk about a game like Metal Gear Solid Five. They give you all kinds of options for loud guns and stuff to, to play in that game. But then at the end, they, sort of, they give you this you know, ranking, this lettered ranking for how you did on a mission. And basically they're saying you can only use the, you know, the silenced weapons and these stealth mechanics if you want to get the best rating possible. So it sort of creates this dichotomy where, you know, you, you, it creates that sensation. I'm, I'm playing the game wrong when I do it a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's, and it's, it's something that I think a lot of people who are playing the game and trying to figure out what they want to get from it have to do that work on their own too to say, okay, well, the game is pushing me towards this type of gameplay. And if I want to fully engage with it, I'm going to have to take the extra time to do it the way the game is kind of routing me. But you'll see sometimes that that's not the case. Like you just get pushed into a thing. You see that a lot with them. Sometimes games like Skyrim and those kind of bigger open world games where you want to do a thing in a certain way and either through bugs or through, you know, bad AI or something like that, where it forces you to do things that you don't want. Um, and then you kind of have to like fight the system uh, within the game. Um, and that doesn't feel like it's, um, 
that doesn't feel good for the player and i'm sure that that's not what the the game makers and developers intend but it's kind of the way that the the, the ball bounces in a lot of ways and it's, it's hard to figure out you know how to make that better in some ways talking about skyrim kind of made me think of something else that stealth does in video games at least for me and then i'll i'll see if you guys feel the same way but when I played Skyrim for the first time, I had originally sort of specced my character to be uh, like a brute, like upfront combat, shield and sword kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then about halfway through that game, I started specking into the stealth mechanics. And then that sort of became the primary way that I I handled all of my engagements was I, I, I switched over to just doing stealth because it kind of became the easier route to get through dungeons and stuff it, it and it, it it's one of those things where like i'm actively doing it like i'm the one engaging in this in this style of gameplay but it it also felt like a crutch like i like in that case i wasn't playing the game correctly do you guys feel like that like when stealth is a mechanic in a game where it's maybe stealth is de-emphasized that you then use it as sort of like a, a cheat code to get through the game <laughs> i'm just surprised you got stealth to work in a skyrim game <laughs> well, I, stealth in Skyrim is stealth in Skyrim is actually surprisingly easy. I'm so, I, I'm sure there are parts where I'm literally crouched in front of a guard, but because I'm in a shadow, he he can't see me for some reason. <laughs> I think that that enemy AI. I mean, and this is something that's not unique to Skyrim. Like enemy AI in stealth games, I think is is lacking in a in a large way. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you guys do you guys feel like you use stealth as a crutch, Khalif? Um, hmm, that's a really good question. Um, I don't feel like I use it as a crutch. I think it's really super dependent upon the situation more than anything else. And I feel like if the tools are good enough to use, then I will try to use them as often as I can. Because I, I feel like there is a more satisfying win internally for me to be able to get out of a situation uh, without having to fight than it is to having to to go into uh, you know a battle when I didn't really want to. I'd, I'd like the ability. I, w- I want the option to go through things without killing without killing folks or without hurting folks to be just as rewarding as it is on the opposite end, and even more so. I feel like you should get cooler stuff if you're able to like go through a level without hurting anybody or, or alarming people or stuff like that. Um, and getting and getting to to use it if it's done well then yeah, you should definitely be be using it. And I don't feel like it's a crutch. I feel like it's the, the, the it feels like the more uh, entertaining way or interesting way to kind of get through a level. Hmm. Then yeah, this might be one of those things that I'm kind of alone in that feeling. Unless Jerry. Mm. Well, it, it just, I think it depends because if the game rewards you, if it's harder to be stealthy in the game, but it, you get better rewards, that, that seems like a great way to do it. If stealth is easy, and just provides an easier way to get through the level. I feel like in the case of Skyrim, that that that's what that is. It just becomes, I don't want to engage in this confrontation because the mechanics of the rest of the game kind of suck. I already talked about how shooting in Hitman was terrible. No one wants to get into a firefight in that game because you die in like one or two bullets and there's often you're often outnumbered. So they, they heavily suggest that you should be playing that undetected, you know, by, by virtues of just the rest of the game mechanics. But if it's harder to not kill anybody, but you get cooler stuff or a cooler 
ending of some type, I think that's that's an example of games that use that as a mechanic in the right way. Yeah, yeah. I think you I think you articulated it perfectly. Um thank you thank you for helping me find the words, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> now, is is stealth something that's possible in a multiplayer setting? Hell yeah. I've seen it. Oh, you have. What do you tell me about it? Cuz I, I I don't know that I've seen stealth work well when you start introducing additional players. So I'm curious to hear what you have. Um, it's, it's not often done well. Most of the time it sucks. Like I know you want, you probably wanted to talk about Assassin's Creed multiplayer mode. Um, no one wanted to play that game in multiplayer mode as, as a stealth assassin. It was just, it didn't work. Not see when I first heard that they were introducing this idea of a, of a multiplayer stealth had so much promise. It did. I mean, I was intrigued more than anything to kind of see how that would work in that game with those mechanics. And I know there were a lot of people that were excited like I was to, to hear like, Oh, what, you know, what is this going to be like? But I, I want you to, I want you to start out talking about what, you know, something you saw that you liked before I kind of just briefly dive into that. Uh, the last of us by naughty dog games was oh, primarily yeah. a story based game. You know, you people bought that to, to play through the campaign and, um, there are certain mechanics like it was very you were always short on ammo. You had to avoid the the infected because fighting them was just a waste of resources and usually time. And you would usually die in those confrontations. Um, but then they brought all those mechanics like crafting and and stealth. And you had like, um, you know, a lot of games are now doing like detective vision. You could like crouch down and you would you would have ultra hearing. So you could get visualizations of directions of of noise and stuff like that. They brought all of that over to the multiplayer setting. And there was a couple of different modes, but I think there was like a three-on-three three or a five-on-five five, um, team mode, basically. And the it, there were these pretty big maps. And the best way to get around them was by being quiet because that game, you died very quickly to gunfire. But you also had limited resources to start out with. So you kind of want to be quiet, sneak around the map, picking up stuff to craft grenades, smoke grenades, etc., and then you could run up on enemies who are multiplayer who are also trying to hide from you. And if you were able to get to them, you could stealth execute them. And it rewarded that because it was very hard to... Once once you were found, it was very hard to get away from a real player because they, they kind of, you know, they can predict where you're going. And uh, it was super cool. I don't think I've seen anything like it since. And it was very unexpected from a developer like Naughty Dog. Hmm. Yep. Khalif, do you have any um like stealth multiplayer experiences that do you thought were good or bad or worth bringing up for this discussion? Assassin's Creed. <laughs> okay, yeah. Let's Uh-oh. All right, let's yeah, let's talk about Assassin's Creed. Do you want to talk a little so bit about bad. about what that for for people who weren't familiar with it, will you fill them in on like what that the idea behind that was? I mean, well, it was basically trying to truncate and and bring the elements of stealth that you do have in the Assassin's Creed game, which is kind of like you can hide in ba- uh, uh, bales of hay, or you can uh, hide in uh, like not closets, but they had these kind of like, like outdoor gazebos that were covered that you could hide in, um, and you know hide in tall grass and things like that that they would have in the standard game and the single player game, and then bring that into a. 4v4, I think it was a, either 5v5 or 4v4 um, multiplayer game. And it was horrible. It was so bad because you would do all the things that you wanted to do in the game. So they would kind of like, 
have you look like a character that would be like an NPC. And then the small things that would like pull you apart from the crowd would be like how you moved in comparison to how the NPCs moved. Or, you know, did you um, have a a piece of gear or did you have a piece of clothing that looked a little bit different? And the the things that were, that were there were so subtle, um, but so obvious that you were like, I can see you from across the map. It was the worst version of hide and go seek that they've ever been made in video game form. Um, yeah. And it just didn't work because it just they didn't they didn't add the things in there that would like actually make you stealthy. Um, and everyone, uh, if you know what the game mechanic is going to be, you're going to stab every bale of hay that you see, and you're yeah. going to go and run in every every closet that you see and try to try to get in there and see if someone's in it. So um, it, it, they didn't do the in plain sight thing re- really well. Um, yeah, I think they. Didn't so, I think their goal was that you were supposed to, as as best you could, emulate an NPC. And when you were playing the game, you, you know, you're looking at a crowd of people. You can't like it really tell who's an NPC and who's you know a real player character, except for sort of by the the tells that the other player sort of gives off. And I they designed this entire multiplayer around that idea of like blending in and you don't know who your target is until you kind of get close enough to them to see them, but you don't want to give away your position because mm-hmm. then one of the enemies could, you know, would spot you and, and could potentially assassinate you. The problem is that and this, this is maybe more on like the player side. People didn't play the game, right? Like people would, just, when I tried to play the multiplayer, it was just people running around. There was no subtlety to the gameplay. It's exactly like what you're saying. It was like, yeah, stab every bale of hay, run ar- around on the roofs until your radar tells you that you're you're close to someone you're supposed to execute. Mm-hmm. And all of those like those elements of stealth that seemed cool on paper faded away for this sort of Call of Duty gameplay that people seem to like more. I mean that kind of raises like one of my main problems with the Assassin's Creed series in general is that there's not a whole lot of consequences for just going all out combat. I feel like you can take on 50 guys at once and be completely fine and then come back later and you're, you're, you're good, bro. So I, I feel like a lot of people probably just played it like that where they, they would just mow down and emphasize the, the sword play versus the, the stealth mechanics in the single player and they brought that into the multiplayer mentality where it wasn't really designed like that. There was one game that I felt like was starting to get some of that right, but... It also kind of fell on its face was when Watch Dogs had its multiplayer. And that was yeah. interesting um, because it did use a lot of the mechanics of the game really well. But it wasn't based on really you being the person who had to be stealthy, but using your technology to be stealthy, which was really cool. So, like, you could pop into uh, a video feed from a camera and, sh- and, and basically track your opponent and hack them from afar and it was really fun to see them freak the hell out when they didn't know where they were being hacked from. It's like Watch I didn't have two did that too a little bit where a little people bit. You, while playing the single player game people could like infiltrate and start hacking you and you mm-hmm. had to find them like I think the idea was to try to pick them out of the crowd of NPCs but I think most people would just climb up to a roof and just hide. Right. I found that kind of frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could you could beat it by just like being really high above people and being on a roof. But being in that cone, being in that circle of influence where you'd still be able to kind of like poke at people. Um, but I, I would like to see them not lose that idea and kind of build on it because I think that is Definitely. really cool. 
Like that was a that was one that I saw as being something that if you got it right, it could be really really fun to to get it uh, to play with a bunch of people. Yeah, I really hope that Last of Us Two brings that multiplayer experience back because there's in, in my experience there wasn't ever anything like that and there hasn't been since. Um, and it was really underrated. Not most people probably didn't touch it because that's not why they came to that game. But mm-hmm. uh, it it was really well done. And and I hope so too. I think Naughty Dog has demonstrated that they're committed to the multiplayer in their game. So I I wouldn't be too worried about them not including that in the next uh, Last of Us. Let's let's sort of try to wrap up this conversation a little bit. What do we want to see in the future? How can the industry sort of improve on implementing stealth in video games, Khalif. What how do you how do you see that they could make stealth better? Again, like uh from from something I said a little bit earlier of trying to rethink about how we want to set up the alert states and end games for those small kind of confrontations and, and engagements, I think is gonna be something that I hope is gonna be something that people think about and try to make a little bit better so that when you do get caught it's not the end of the end of the world or end of the game. Um, I would actually like to see how some of that stuff would be pushed into like AR and VR. Ooh. Uh, I think that would be really cool to determine how you can do some of that stuff, you know, through force feedback of, you know, if you have, you know, Oculus touch controllers or HD, HDV, uh, HTC Vive controllers and things like that, you know, how you could, you know, once they figure out putting VR people in multiple places and spaces together, you know, how you can do stuff like that. That would be really cool to see. Um, and even mobile, right, would be, but that would be a little, interestingly enough, VR would be really cool, but VR would be, uh, mobile would be scary. Because <laughs> yeah. it's a thing that's oh, in yeah. your, fo- like it's your pocket. And like if something goes wrong with your phone, you automatically think it's a real world thing. And if it's placed into real world circumstances or situations, that's ma- that makes it freaky. Um but I, I want to see games kind of get out of the got to get out of its own box, you know. Stop hiding in the box, as they say, um, and um, and uh, kind of work itself into different different genres that we didn't think about, or different games that we didn't think about, and and making those situations feel more real. Because um, I feel like right now they feel uh, fairly similar, uh, similar, and not really that different. So I'm hoping that they think about that. The the one other thing that I would add to that is. When we, when we look at video games, I think a lot of video game worlds are built for the action side of things where you don't, you don't need a whole lot of like fine detail in the world when what you're doing is sort of shooting your way through corridors. But I think for stealth games, what would make them really cool is if they opened up more ways to accomplish your goal. I remember when they first started advertising Dishonored, the first one, they had showed like you can transform into a rat and climb through this rat hole to get inside this house. And uh, like instantly my mind was like flooded with like, Oh man, wouldn't it be cool if these worlds had sort of like fully fleshed out septic systems? Like what if you could transform into a, you know, a cockroach and climb up through the bathtub or, you know, things along those lines. Or what if you could get up on the roof and go through the vents that way, you know? So you start to think about these more fully realized worlds with ways to approach accomplishing your goal and and that's kind of what i would like to see more of in the future jared how about you what do you want to see the game industry do to improve i think one of the points i was trying to make earlier was that i want to see it thematically make sense for when you break stealth that 
I want to see the consequences for that make sense, or I want to see the benefits of of going forward and 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 blowing through, you know, enemies, uh, or just you know going straight back to the action. I want to, I want to see that make sense in that world. Deus Ex never really felt like if you were just blowing through, you know, murdering rooms full of people. That never really felt like it made sense to me. So I always wanted to be in stealth, and that would lead me to reload the game if I broke stealth or um, made a mistake. Um, I don't want to feel like I'm playing the game wrong. I, I want it to. I want it to build. I want it to be an option that has consequences, but those consequences still push the story forward. Or they still push your progress forward. Um, most most titles, I don't think, take the the thematic idea into account. I just thought of a game that you that you just made. Uh, a perfect mashup would be to make the game everything. If you've heard of that game, uh, where mm-hmm. you can be literally everything in the world. Yeah, uh, you, like from like a microbe all the way up to like yeah, a to like, like a planet or a solar system. Oh, okay. yeah, that, yeah, I, that I game being a stealth game would be fucking awesome. <laughs> How would like, that work? Well, you can like, hey, I'm a tree, and I need to stab another tree. No, I'm, just <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm trying to figure out the best ways to like incorporate, you know wildlife into stealth stealth games and that seemed like it might have been a really good idea and then i said it out loud and it wasn't <laughs> well i mean it's funny that I you, you kind saying. of bring that up because when i was thinking of this idea of like what would a you know what would a stealth game look like if you designed it from the ground up mm-hmm. my mind was like well what if we just sort of like reevaluate what you know how what a game is you know we in a lot of cases we play games where we're playing as a, as a human being but what if you instead play as like uh like a jaguar you know in, mm. in the jungle and now you literally have to invent all new mechanics for that game if if that's the you know the character that you're playing as and if, you know if you approach stealth from that sort of like ground up mindset what you know what do you what kind of game do you end up with um i didn't fo- I, you know i don't have a, out. i don't have a uh paper build of that game <laughs> anywhere but i it was just like where my mind kind of first went in in thinking about that i don't know if this is like directly what you're thinking but there's a, a trailer circulating the internet over the last few weeks of uh, i don't think it has a name yet but you play as a goose oh the goose one yeah <laughs> yeah and you're like trying to like steal the keys from the farmer or st- you know get into the vegetables or something and i think that's pretty fun because it's like the consequences aren't an instant fail state or he's not going to start shooting at you. He just gets really annoyed and like, you know, tries to kick you away from his, whatever his work is. And I think that's, that's kind of fun. Um, so, you know, just games that emphasize, like it's not an instant, you're, you're, you're going to immediately be shot to death if you break stealth or you're not going to immediately fail the game. But um, I think Khalif, you said like, you know, what if you get arrested and they, they, they take you to the interrogation room and then now that's your new immediate objective is to escape capture Mm -hmm. that would be a lot more fun than just going back to hiding in the shadows and then all the guards act like it never happened all right let's move on to some listener feedback if you have any questions or comments about stealth or any of our previous topics you can always send us an email at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on twitter also we're always taking ideas for future episode topics jared what do we got yeah, this first one comes from Ashley, and Hi, Ashley. she and this one is uh, actually directed at you, Steve. She says, uh, "I think you may have touched on this during episode thirteen, um, and we were talking about the digital distribution uh, model of selling games." Uh, she says, 
I think you may have touched on this, but I might have missed it. How would you feel about brick and mortar stores going away and just selling physical games online? Take away the financial burden of store costs, but still be able to purchase physical media if you want. Uh, because in that episode, I think you were kind of still on board with physical media, and I kind of take the stance that I'm happy with an all digital future. But um, I don't know. I guess I guess since this is directed at you, Steve, what do you what do you how do you feel about that? Um, so I did kind of touch on this in that episode. That yeah, I mean, just as as someone who classifies myself as a collector not a hoarder i'm definitely a collector not a hoarder i don't want to get those hmm. <laughs> too mixed up hmm. I, I appreciate having the the physical copies of of my media um but i also I, you know i still find value in the experience of going to a place and and browsing shelves and speaking with a real life human being about my purchase and I think that I, I also said this in that episode, but I, I find that to be the worst part <laughs> of, the, of the entire process. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like it. You know, I like going into a GameStop and being able to chat with the guy behind the counter about upcoming games and and having him, you know, share his excitement for that stuff. Because you know, you don't end up working at a GameStop unless you're you like video games in in some <laughs> regard. So, um, I yeah. I, I don't believe in the idea of sort of propping up brick and mortar stores um, arbitrarily, you know, just just to keep them around financial standpoint and societal benefit standpoint. You know, there's no longer a reason for them, but um, I don't know what the alternative to those kinds of experiences would be for me. You know, maybe maybe it's something like, I don't know, I was going to say like joining some sort of like in-person meetup, but... I don't know that that's realistic, but maybe it would be replaced with going to, to um, like esports events where I would be able to go and, and interact with people and, and talk about this shared passion that we have. Obviously, something would come along and, and sort of replace that experience for me. They have to make it a better experience than just buying the game for me. Like there's going, like I said in that episode, I don't like going to those types of stores because they're always trying to upsell me on things that I have no interest in. And even above that, you know, getting I, I have the benefit of where I live, I have very fast internet. So in the time that it would take me to get in my car and drive to that store, I could already have that game downloaded and and start playing it in most cases. Yeah. So it's just not it's not a better experience. If for something, you know, some there's some bonus to going to a brick and mortar store, absolutely I, I might consider doing that. But as it stands right now, I just don't I don't see the value of that. Now, where do you, where do you land on this, Khalif? Are you a all digital man, or are you still a a hard copy man? It's interesting that having that question come up because I haven't thought about brick and mortar stores in so long. Like I haven't seen a GameStop in so long now. Like GameStop for me, or any brick and mortar. Actually, it's interesting. When I was living back back in New York, there were two versions of brick and mortar for me. There was the GameStop, was where it was where I would go and. Uh, usually get my pre-ordered stuff uh, when I was still doing pre-order stuff and have that kind of fun conversation with people in the store, which I, which I kind of miss. And then there was the mom and pop shop that I would only go to when they wanted to break street date. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> can I get this thing early? I will break street date and make that troop all the way to Fordham road in the Bronx. Um, but uh, I'm all digital now. You couldn't get me into, I will go back into a brick and mortar when I'm trading something in and that's it. And until they figure out a way to do that better, 
uh, on the trade-in side, on the you know, like if there's a you know, Amazon is doing fairly well with that. You can kind of schedule a, a trade-in for stuff like that, and that, that I may not even go to GameStop to do that stuff because Amazon has better rates. So yeah, I, I I miss that for the kind of the the zeitgeist when a when a launch would happen. But besides that, no, there's really no reason for me to go anymore. Steve, you said that you enjoy like that conversation aspect and talking to someone who's also passionate about video games. And I just, you know, that, that makes me think of when I would find a really cool record store and I would go in and, and just spend an hour in there, like flipping through different CDs and vinyls and just looking for, for new music to get. And then there's usually, you know, a very well-versed person behind the counter able to make recommendations. It was fun to chat about that stuff. I don't think I ever got that experience from like a, a GameStop Funko Land situation. Yeah, it, never, it always felt like more corporate. consumerized to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, so it was, I agree it was with like, that. And I don't think I where we grew up. I don't remember any mom and pop video game stores really. Um, you know, we went to some um, comic book shops and places that did tabletop gaming and computer like PC cafe type things, and that was maybe the closest to it. But I never really got that experience that I would get from a cool uh, record store, you know? I wonder if coming up soon with like nostalgia being such a, a powerful tool these days and with uh, things like vinyl records returning, if we're not too far away from seeing these sort of like retro gaming stores open up, like things that you can't necessarily download online. Like if, I, I mean, maybe outside of emulators, but you know, like, someplace that sells retro consoles and retro games, if, if that's something that's in our future. Yeah, or like, you know, having cool arcade cabinets set up and you can go and hang out in there and play stuff. They would, you know, like maybe tournament days, something fun where it, it's more of a community aspect to it than just going in and, and trying to dodge the 500 magazine subscriptions that they try to sell you in (laughs) corporate stores maybe maybe we shouldn't talk about it anymore maybe we should just start it ourselves maybe yeah i mean here in la bookstores are making a comeback in a big way people are realizing the value that they had of going and and just flipping through different books and looking looking through aisles of of new stuff um amazon kind of took that away for a while but uh, maybe we'll see something similar happening to the game space yeah that'd be cool do we got anything else, Jared? Oh, and, and thank you, Ashley. Sorry, before we move on. Thank you for the uh, writing in, Ashley. Chester Copperpot, he um, was referring to a discussion we had on water levels in episode 14. 14. Um, yeah. And you talk, you were talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the NES water level. Oh, yeah. And uh, he says, you were so right about the TMNT water level trigger warning. I think it was the ultimate cause of my first rage quit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I said and it in you, that episode. Like, if you remember that level, <laughs> you remember hating that level. <laughs> I watched a YouTube playthrough of that part, and I, it looks like it controls like bullshit. So I oh, see that being awful. It's a nightmare. Khalif, did you play the original TMNT on NES? Yep. I hate that level. All right, good. Terrible. The hitboxes are so screwy, and you have to, like, there's no way to like know how to get through that level except to play it and fail and then memorize the route that you that you went. It's just I, that is that is an example of how not to design a game right there. <laughs> yeah, it's just like one of those tacked on mechanics. Where you're like, this doesn't need to be in here. Yeah. Well, nope. thank you, Chester, for that uh, for writing in. I'm 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 sorry you had to experience that like I did. That's it for feedback. All right, cool. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. 
Now, before we get out of here, I, I have to thank our guest, Khalif. Khalif, thank you so much for being here, man. This is this has been a, a, an absolute joy. I'm I'm always amazed, you know, how how generous our guests are with their time. And like I said earlier, I, I, we're recording this on the 28th. There's maybe three of the biggest games ever released just came out, and for Khalif <laughs> to carve out some time uh, from his weekend to be with us is uh, is a big deal. So thank you for being here, man. No, thank you both for having me. And again, you you're doing fantastic work. You're getting really it. awesome guests. The show Thanks, sounds man. great. Uh, and I, I really love the spin that you're taking here, which is the some of the stuff that I really kind of love to talk about is being able to have that perspective and go and dig back and see where things are coming from. And you're doing a fantastic job of that here. Well, thank you. Um, that, having, having some really fun, fun shows. Well, thank you. That means, that means a lot to me. Now, Khalif, where can people keep up with you online? Uh, you can follow us on Twitter for the show at Spawn on Me on Twitter uh, at Kajakins on uh, my personal account. Uh, we usually are live every Thursday, seven thirty p.m. PST over at Twitch.tv slash Spawn on Me. Uh, you can find us in all the other places that you like to listen to podcasts: iTunes, NPR One. Uh, we should be on Google Play, all those other places, and our Patreon as well. If you want to help support. Uh, independent media and uh, make us even better in Bricago. Uh, go to patreon.com slash spawn on me and uh, throw us a couple bucks over there as well. Right on, man. Yeah, I, I encourage anyone who enjoys our show should uh, definitely go give spawn on me a listen. And if you uh, if you happen to be listening to them live on Twitch, keep an eye out for psych stash. That's me. I'll be in the, uh, the chat making terrible dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> they are fantastic dad jokes. Well, thank you again, Khalif. As a reminder, we release new episodes of this show every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and want to help us out, head over to iTunes, give us a review. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. What was that? What was it? Just the bucks. All right. <laughs> uh, thank you, Kyle Clark, for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast, This Is Rad, on iTunes. Uh, you can find me at Steven underscore the gamer on Twitter. And I'm at Jared Bruner. And as always, we want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We made a, we made a podcast. Nicely done. Good nice. stuff, y'all. That was great. That was super dope.